Hello and welcome to the Urban Health Podcast, keeping busy city executives and entrepreneurs empowered and healthy. I'm Stephanie Webster. I'm a nutritional therapist based in Harley Street, London, specializing in extreme fat loss. Being an entrepreneur myself, I like to find effective solutions to health problems. And to help us with that mission today, we have the honor of having Nick Potter on the show. Nick Potter is an osteopath, a principal and clinical director of the Centre of Physical Medicine. Nick, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Good morning. Pleasure. Nice to be here. So, Nick, why did you choose the human spine as your area of interest? That's a very good question. I think, as I have said to you before, Stephanie, probably we, um, I think really it found me. Unfortunately, I had a spinal injury myself playing rugby in New Zealand um, as a youngster, uh, just before, in fact, I started my medical studies. And I was treated by two wonderful osteopaths who sadly have now gone on to better places, but have uh, really changed my view upon the whole sort of biopsychosocial model, as we call it, of, of healthcare and how we need to look much more at patients rather than their symptoms. And um, I had always been involved in sports, performance and musculoskeletal medicine generally. And so the spine really, you know, being the centre of all those operations was the natural place to start. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our clients suffer of back pain. What is the root cause of back pain? That's a massive question, but a good one. I, the root cause of back pain are many things. You can talk about, obviously, baseline acute injuries like straining things, pulling things, tweaking things, um, which either comes from overuse, habits that people develop in their life that cause asymmetries, etc., uh, just lifting something that's way too heavy uh, and injuring. But most of those things will ultimately get better. And the reason that we just define chronic pain as chronic is that, that not that it, it's really bad, but that in fact it's time-related, i.e. most things will heal within three months. So if you think of a bone, will mostly heal within four to six weeks, etc. We know that when somebody comes in with spinal pain that is over that period of time, that it's unlikely that anything is broken, but there are more subtle things going on. And that usually comes out of our daily lifestyles, which sensitize us centrally in our brains, um, very often subconsciously, to produce um, pain, which is very often, believe it or not, um, your subconscious brain trying to make you aware of either fear, response, protection, etc. It's very evolutionary. Um, and those are the cases I'm particularly interested in because the guys who strain things you know, usually get better with good, good guidance and, and treatment over a few weeks. But the people who are out there suffering with fibromyalgia and um, ME and IBS and all those, all those pain pathways, migraine, etc., they, they are a source of much more interest for me uh, because it's now 43% of the population of this country, which is a pretty startling number, suffer with a chronic pain syndrome of some sort. And nobody's really talking about it. Um, and in the States, we've seen the opiate crisis take over uh, and where lovely middle-class normal people were turned into hobos by the fact that they got addicted to pain medication, um, which is being prescribed many, very often, too often, and, and uh, disempowering patients to treat themselves. Absolutely. And that's why I like your approach, because I have often been to osteopaths or physiotherapists or other body work practitioners myself, where I just feel like they're going through the motions, a click, click, and they're just, whereas you actually look at the whole picture and you look at the patients rather than the symptoms by your own words. And um, the most effective way to heal back pain is having a session with you, but because you, you actually look into what's the root cause, right? Exactly. I mean, I, I I had a wonderful professor who always said, you know, that 99% of the diagnosis is in the case history. I take a very, very 
in-depth case history with patients, which probably goes, I mean, some people may say it's beyond my remit in the sense of the psychological element, but I think that anybody who's involved, I mean, your training contains a lot of psychiatry, but I think anybody who can tune into humans and is in any way interested or fascinated with them realises that everything from childhood moving forwards um, leads us to where we are now and that pain is a form of suffering and that suffering, um, you know, there's always something at the heart of it. So I'm very interested in what people's backgrounds are, their relationships, their marriages or otherwise, um, and uh, children and so on. You know, we are all imperfect and, in, and fragile and we they have an enormous input into uh, the causation around back pain because it's often easier to rub and nurture a physical pain rather than confronting that is something emotionally much more painful. So I'm, I do go digging for a lot more stuff than, than is just whether or not somebody can bend and touch their toes. And I think there's a lot of uh, financial incentive out there, I'm afraid, to do whacking and cracking and um, tell them it's all about alignment. And I think, you know, for some people it's got a good, it's got a good story, but it's, um, it's not the whole picture. I, I certainly, although I did my osteopathic degree as a baseline, I actually went on to work in a number of other cultural environments. Germany, I did rehabilitation medicine um, and also in Australia um, and I've studied a number of other sort of cultural medicines, particularly acupuncture and so on, I worked in China. Um, I think you've got to have a very big toolbox and you've got to help nature take its course, which is actually at the heart of all healing, really. Um, we've sadly gone down to a far too pharmaceutical route uh, and I think we're seeing that coming full circle now. Absolutely. And one of the reasons why I admire your work is you really dig, 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 and you're relentless at finding that root cause. Similar to what I do in my practice, I what is the root cause of this unhealthy relationship with your body, unhealthy relationship with yourself and with food as your substance of choice. So yeah. I, anyone can lose weight for, for 12 weeks, but not everybody can keep that going for 12 years. And, and it's because we'd go down to the root cause of what caused that unhealthy relationship with yourself and with food in the first place. And I, I admire the fact that you're willing to go there. And anyone who's listening who wants to realign themselves in more ways than one nick is just you're just outstanding at that and um let's talk about the weight gain because a lot of the clients that come on to uh, that come to me have weight issues how does excess weight cause even more strain to the spine it's a a problem on a number of fronts actually i mean a lot of uh, weight, weight. There's a very nice study done in America, actually, into knee pain, where they showed that actually, um, for I think it's every four kilos of weight you put on, you'll see a 17% increase in in knee pain, particularly if you have arthritis. So you really can correlate increased weight with with pain increase, uh, which is very useful for us. It's a nice thing to be able to quote to patients because I think sometimes they they don't believe it'll really help them. Um, I think you've got to look at two things. One is in an increasing environment where we see our bodies as a way of getting our um, our brains to meetings, which is happening increasingly, and we sort of become divorced from our bodies. We we tend to just lose respect for it, and I think that's at the heart of a lot of what you do. Um, is that you know is, is liking your body, liking yourself, and not disrespecting it. I think we have to consider things like type two diabetes, which is sold to us as a disease, is in fact I'm afraid over, uh, chronic overindulgence, um, and it's mostly about uh, a lack of balance in the body. If you if you continuously eat too much of one thing, sugars, etc., then you are going to put on weight, but also your homeostatic controls, the things that keep a balance, will, will get exhausted and you will begin to see that as symptoms and disease. So uh, obesity, which is an unpleasant word, but being overweight um, does two things. It increases the amount of inflammation in your body, so you're immediately more likely to get multiple areas of, of pain, particularly in small joints, so hands, neck, neck joints and, and feet. It physically puts load on the system, 
Uh, and if you already have some arthritic change or any other weakened area, uh, you're just carrying more load. Um, but I think also an important one, and we see this in anesthetics a lot, is that people who carry weight don't realize that there is an enormous vascular blood vessel bed within fat, um, which if you add up the sort of uh, surface area of it, it's, it's actually miles of, of vessels supplying and, and supporting that fat, which means that it actually deprives you of oxygen. And uh, you have to produce more blood, you have to produce more blood cells. Your heart is therefore strained because it has to pump the blood uh, literally miles extra um, there's some nice statistics around that, um, such that you're putting just a, a much greater strain on your system and the body can adapt and cope with that for a while. Um, but those coping mechanisms will eventually fail. So on three levels, which is just load physically, load cardiovascularly and load uh, with inflammation, um, you're ending up with a very unhappy person. A very unhappy person who experiences a lot of stress and that stress produces cortisol, yeah. which leads to cortisol Tommy, I believe you, uh, you've referred to it in the past. Tell us about yeah. how stress impacts the, the belly fat around the body. Um, well, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. In fact, I mean, we probably have all seen the two different types of, of fat people. Um, one is the one who seems to displace their fat all over them. So it's on their legs, their arms, their body and everywhere. And then there is also um, the body types who tend to seem to be what we rudely call in the medical profession pears on sticks or uh, apples on sticks. Um, which is where they seem to put an awful lot of the, the weight around and in their abdomen. And they have very normal, skinny-looking legs and arms. And this, for me, is a much more sinister form of weight gain. Is usually based around the fact that they have, the patient has been chronically stressed because your stress hormone that you secrete is cortisol. And it does a lot of things they don't realize, one of which is to desensitize us to our own uh, adrenaline because actually adrenaline, if you secrete it for too long in response to fright-flight mechanisms, uh, actually damages you. So cortisol is produced to protect you from your own adrenaline, but it also has two other effects. One is to decrease your immune system, and the other one is to increase inflammation. So we think that actually it's it's still not controversial, but it's still under, under study, but we think a lot of autoimmune conditions may stem from this, particularly in childhood cases where you formulate a system where you attack your own body. Um, in the case of the obesity, the fat gets laid down because it's a form of storage. It's not about just eating too much. It's about your body being put into a state as if it was roaming the plains um, and uh, hadn't got enough food and is stressed. So it starts to store the fat uh, internally within around and around the organs. So the effects of that kind of weight are actually much nastier and more malignant than uh, just de general dispersal of weight um, and such that it causes, you know, uh, contraction and stricture around the viscera. So they, they, they literally lose their function. They become strangled by the body fat. These are the people who, do, you know, they probably look stressed, they often look pale, rings around their eyes, they sleep badly. So there's a lot more in their case history to let you know that. And once you explain that to them, they realize that the every pound lost from the stomach in that, those cases actually is much is worth in real terms health-wise much more than if you're just losing it from the body because its effect is much greater. Uh, and it also tends to produce insulin itself. So you, you get this metabolic syndrome developing where people, people find it very difficult to lose weight past a certain stage because the fat is producing its own hormones, which makes things more difficult. Um, but those are the ones, sadly, I think are the most, uh, they're, the, they're the ones that have the highest indicators toward cardiovascular in, um, illness as well. So they're the ones more likely to have strokes, heart attacks, high blood pressure, and so on. But that is really a stress response, and it's very primitively driven and is usually in response to either childhood trauma, long-term unhappy marriages, jobs that you feel are a dead end or you don't like your boss or any number of things. Um, and that effect takes its toll over time. Stress is a big one. And 
a lot of uh, our clients are just high achievers, very ambitious, very intelligent. They expect a lot of themselves. So they generate their own stress, regardless of external yeah. stimuli. And uh, I'm sure you've got advice for, for someone who's listening who is in that situation where they can't do less. They have to achieve more, manage better. Yes, I mean, I think, it, again, it goes to the psychological level. I would also say the first thing I try and say to patients is, in those situations is, is you know, what is, your, what is your route to happiness? What is your route to success? Do you see success as the route to happiness? Because that's very often a misguided belief, which is that simply if I work harder, produce more, um, I will be happy. Um, the problem with that is that on the whole, you meet you meet your targets and goals, and all you keep doing is shifting the goal. So you never reach well like perfection. You never really get there. You never think that it's enough. You know when you just keep shifting the, the borders. And again, your system can do that for a while. I mean, perfectionists are very hard on themselves. They try to over control situations. They become more bothered by small minutiae things that happen in their lives. They tend to under delegate around people. They always think that you know, nobody's going to do it better than themselves. So they overload themselves. And deep down, they like the fact that people will keep asking them to do things and to because they're achievers and they get satisfaction from that. But it's realizing that it, you know, on everybody's to-do list, you can have too many items. And um, it's about you know saying to yourself, look, you can, you can keep trying. And, and there are many people, Ariana Huffington, who's a great example, wrote a whole book about it saying, you know, I thought I could multitask and keep going and be amazing. And I broke. And I think there are lots of our, you know people we can identify have had those experiences. So I think it's re-examining what you want, why you're on that pathway, what drove you to be like that in the first place, were the things in your childhood that you sought to control uh, and that have made you a perfectionist, you know, character type, um, and perhaps realise that actually you can back off a little bit and still be better than everybody else. So it's about giving them some room to breathe. Uh, helping them to manage their stress because not all stress is bad. Sometimes it's about thriving and performing and enjoying it. It's what we do in, in stre uh, sports performances, teach them to see it as a, a kind of moment to, to, to perform and to achieve rather than seeing it as something that's a burden, a yoke to, under which to, to strain. But I think also realizing that you can only do it, you know, our systems are only designed to do it for short periods. And uh, if we carried on for too long, you really do get sick. And, uh, you know, just say to them, do you really want to fail before you... Uh, which is, of course, failure is something they, they fear ultimately as well. Um, do you want to fail before you wake up? And I think uh, that's what I try and show them and then just show them a pathway to doing that better and more efficiently and realizing it doesn't have to be such a slog. Yeah, and it's about improving the quality of your life, enjoying the journey, uh, as corny as that sounds, whilst you yeah. pursue whatever you want to pursue. And it's not really about being better than anybody else, but merely being the best version of you. And, and striving and, and knowing that your potential is as yet untapped and you're on your journey to, to progress and progress and progress. And, and it's all about having those healthy habits in place, which brings me elegantly on to some patients get injured all the time. How can we prevent injury by installing some just healthy habits? I like to foam roll before every, every workout and I like to stretch afterwards to sort of look after my body are, are there healthy habits? Maybe that's not right. I'm, I'm here to ask you for that as also. But uh, are there healthy habits that we can do to prevent injury? Um, absolutely. I mean, some of it requires, of course, we are by definition individuals. We are all different. And I think we forget this and we sort of abide by the what I call the, the bell curve 50%. You know, we do everything by what is average. Well, still 50% of the population aren't average and are still normal. 
Um, I think knowing your body type helps. A lot of lot of patients I see are hypermobile, which is something we're seeing increasingly in in society, which is having flexible joints, etc. But it's very relevant because it means the type of exercise you do may be different. Uh, a lot of people have, if they do take exercise, which they most people don't take enough, but if they do, they try and do always the same thing. Uh, a lot of weight training is based around putting on the t-shirt muscles rather than actually training in balance. So it's always worth getting advice from a, from a trainer about a workout and review it every six weeks so you don't get muscle memory and get used to habits. Stand up at work. You know, I mean, I, I work in a, advise in a hedge fund and we now have all, the, all of the traders are standing um, uh, throughout the day and have found themselves to be increasingly dynamic. We've had a huge decrease in the number of people with neck and back pain. Uh, and they actually have found that it makes their, their cognitive process, their thinking process is actually more creative, which is interesting. And that, that's been founded in good research. Plenty of water, you know, none of us drink enough. Uh, move more. It is, you know, it really is an issue. It's actually not about exercise. It is about movement, stimulating our nervous systems. Um, as I say to some people, you know, if, you, if your back was on your face, you'd look after it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you've got to learn to stretch and move it and keep your tummy muscles strong because the core is very important. Um, but again, there's some, sometimes the ideas around what core is, is sometimes misguided. Um, and I think finding a balance between, uh, if I had my way, everybody would be doing a class of Tai Chi, a class of yoga, and a class of um, bar core or something similar uh, every week, twice a week, because it combines uh, balance work, which is very important, um, muscular strength and flexibility. And, and, and that really is the answer. And obviously keep your weight down and so on. But actually, it's, it's, it's sourcing the habits that you do. Very often people will have a boss or a colleague to the right that they sit at and they don't realize they keep turning to the right and they get a bias of muscle tone in one side and that can finally give them a acute back pain or acute episode. So treating it's one thing, but then saying, to them, well, look, actually, we need to you know, set you up differently. And I think probably the worst thing is smartphones and, and iPads and la laptops. Actually, for me, we see really bad neck injuries developing from laptops where people don't set them up properly. And with the laptop latte culture, where people are seen you know, doing a lot more from home and from cafes, um, where they're not being given proper ergonomic environments, um, they are doing a lot of damage. And I think we you know they've got to be more wise to the fact that they are doing damage themselves that they can do something about. So I'm I'm very much about empowering, stopping people moaning to their companies and realizing it's not all the company's fault. You know, work is an inevitable thing that we have, and in fact, it should define us in some ways. It's not something to be resented. But equally, we've got to do more to look after ourselves. And I think. A society that we find ourselves in is not any more competitive and aggressive, but it's also uh, trying to sell us all the time that we're being that we're sort of victims of our uh, of diseases and processes, and uh, that's convenient for pharmaceuticals to tell us send us drugs. But most of the time, we could actually stop it coming on in the first place. So it's kind of inverting the way we see ourselves and changing our environment. And after all, we were entirely designed to, to adapt to our environments, which we've stopped doing, and we've migrated up in, into our grey matter and think that that's the place to exist. Which sadly. Uh, it's proving otherwise. So I don't know if that answers your question. It does, and 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 many more that I didn't ask you. So that that's great. I, I love I love um, I love listening to you. I could listen to you all day. And the pursuit of health is is really the pursuit of self love, self care, loving your body. I want to look after you the best I can. Give my body what it needs, and nothing that it doesn't need is one of our philosophies. And just. This idea of self-care and a lot of the um, a lot of my clients are male and they are driven by significance and they want to be, as you said, they go to the gym, they lift heavy and they want to be the biggest, baddest, strongest guy in there. And I actually really respect it when a man takes the time to do Tai Chi, yoga, barkor, as you say, and explore his agility, his elegance, his flexibility, how the body 
can move. And what's the point in having all these muscles if you can't use them in an elegant way? The, the, the elegance of the male physique and, and the female physique, of course, but I think women are more in tune with mo movement, actually, than, than males are, unfortunately, from, from what I've seen. And um, it's about really looking after yourself. It's not about being big, tall, strong. It's more about being the best version of you and packaging a comprehensive uh, movement regime, which will include weights and it will include other things. And that's, that's how you get a nice, balanced, agile physique. Um, and I'm still shocked by the shocking statistics that you've given us. Is it 43% of people live with back pain? Is that what you said earlier? 43% of the population now have a chronic pain syndrome. So that will be anything of which about 80% is back pain. Mm -hmm. um, that is a big market. Somebody, the, the, you know, the answers aren't there. And interesting, finding these people, believe it or not, is quite difficult because people don't talk about their pain. They don't put it on Instagram and, and, then, and, and, and the internet because it's sort of unglamorous, a bit like debt. They don't really talk about it. But it's out there and it's real and, um, and it's growing. I mean, it is a silent epidemic. Um, going back to your, your point about, you know, balanced exercise, I think for me, people always say to me, what is good posture? How do I get good posture? And the, the bottom line is a posture isn't something you should hold. It's something that you should, I mean, it's a place you find yourself and it shouldn't require any act, you know, active muscle action. So holding your shoulders back doesn't work. And there are a number of reasons why people get bad posture, but why it's a glamorous thing is everybody knows when they see somebody with good posture, you know, whether you see a model, whether you see uh, Ronaldo is a very good example. He works uh, for hours on his posture because we also know that good posture means that you hit the ball, kick the ball and do actions much more accurately, uh, with much greater force, um, and with you know repetitive accuracy, much more. So this is why you see kickers in rugby and in football, etc., going through these rituals where they sort of bend down and then stand up again because it's a power posture. And we look at people like Theresa May, where it's so conspicuous how bad her posture is and the stress elements you can see changing in her face daily. Um, and she's going into those negotiations with no passive signals about that she means business, and it, 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 it uh, pains me every time I see it. But I think the other thing I'd, what I would just like to, to sort of define a bit more is that I think you're right, it's about being your better self. But I also think it's about being selfless. I think one of the things I've seen in my own children is that the academic um, institutions now at every level are trying to proselytize this idea that it's all about you against the world. It's about you being brilliant, yourself, your, your identity. I think that's right, but actually some, way, some ways happiness lies in actually doing things for other people. And one of the reasons I said about changing your environment is little things like if you go and get your coffee every day from the same coffee shop, just say hello to the person selling it to you. Just smile at them, say something nice about what they're wearing. I know it all sounds sort of psycho babble, but it works. I've done it myself and I, and I have three coffee shops and it's extraordinary how people respond if you don't just see them as an automaton. And now my environment has become nicer because they look for me every day and they say hello and they, they're concerned about my welfare in a totally different way than they did six months ago. So I think it's right. I think what we've lost is connectivity. We think that phones do that, but they don't. And I think that we need to make uh, contact again with each other in a way that we haven't done for years, particularly by being vulnerable with people, um, admitting weaknesses, etc., from which you actually can only improve. But we're so wrapped by the idea that if we show weakness, um, that we will suffer or be sacked or be, be promoted and so on. And as a result, we're producing a culture where a lot of people lie fake and, um, and hide things a lot. And that in its own right is stressful. Keeping up the pretense is as stressful and tiring as anything else. So I think it's about also not making it about too much about self, um, being leading by example, certainly, and making yourself better. 
uh, to show to others, but actually see people as rivals who can make you better rather than competitors who are there to be beaten. Um, and I think that that's a big cultural change we could look to. And I certainly proselytize that to my to my patients is just try it as a little exercise. And you start with that. You, know, you don't have to even be cheesy and grin. Just just don't be miserable. And I think that um, we have it even in the office. You know, people get their head down. They don't say hello in the morning. Open the door for somebody. Small acts of kindness. And this is Sean Aker and people like this are very big on this. And it's not just about your own happiness, but if you make your environment nicer, it's a nicer place to be, and that has a direct effect on you. So it's a boomerang effect, but uh, just just do the odd nice thing for people occasionally, um, and it's amazing how it kicks back. Mm-hmm. And it, it amazes me how you inspire people to be healthier, be more, raise their standards, and not live with pain. A lot of people believe that they have to just live with this pain, and it's become the new suffer. It's their new normal is living with this physical pain. <laughs> that you unleash them from which and it's it's very empowering when somebody starts taking control of their life saying no i am going to do something about it i'm not going to accept this pain i am going to progress and you're a big fan of empowerment and self-directed uh health and we've seen that in the shift where people are self-paying and not using insurance companies anymore tell us a bit more about how you inspire people to raise their standards and and be more empowered well, I think if, if you if you increase the way that people or enhance the way that people see you and behave around you, you naturally become a kind of a leader. And if you become a kind of leader because people respond to you and see that the, the room changes when you walk in and that sort of thing, then I think you actually naturally go through a process where you want to be a bit more of a paragon. You want to be um, show that you lead by example and that you walk the talk, which I think is very important. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, a lot of practitioners are saying, I, I'm sometimes concerned by sometimes I will see a colleague, you know, is really very overweight. I just I just think that's a really bad example to be saying. It's like having a, a dentist with bad breath. It's not a great advert. Um, but I think it's about just doing small things. You don't have to be trained in leadership. You don't have to be um, leading from the front, taking the floor. You know, I had a, I had a very strong and, and uh, powerful father in my life who was brilliant, but he always said, you know, uh, great leaders always speak last. And I think that um, that is true, because if you impose yourself on people all the time, um, then you don't see them in their light and you don't let them shine. And out of that, people just naturally become attracted to you, not not just sexually, but actually, you know, just as a leader, they just begin to follow what you do because you seem to create change passively around you. And I think that you can show anybody that they can do it. It's a weird form of parenting without sounding weird. I mean, I think you, it's about being an, an objective person as a therapist or practitioner saying look i'm i'm a mirror here and i'm showing up and i'm telling you that actually you're, you're you are incredible you're just feeling at the moment that you're completely retracted from engaging in the world because you think that every time you do something it hurts uh, and that hurt for your brain is usually just a fear response and if we show you that you can do it and there's no harm involved it's amazing how quickly people people can uh, unlock their helplessness and if the evidence suggests, because they've been to people before, unfortunately, who've reinforced the fact that they have something wrong with them, that, that there's no future for them, etc., then the learned helplessness becomes incredibly powerful and they, they can't move forward. And I think if you just simply show them that the blocks that are in their way aren't the most obvious, there's a way around them instead of over them, um, it really can be that simple. But you've got to tap into what's making that particular person tick, where their blocks are, um, and understanding them. Otherwise, you're going to give them a whole lot of irrelevant stuff that it just isn't relevant to their situation. So I think it's um, showing people that actually, though they feel they're surrounded by people that are better than them, are constantly fed a stream of crap, quite frankly, through them, their, their social media that tells them how crap they are all the time, then you begin to believe it. 
and switch it off. Don't listen to it and get out and do something about it. You know, stop being a victim. That's that's probably the best way of looking at it. Yeah, and I I love your passion, and I'm uh, you, it's it's inspiring, and you're creating a movement in the health community, and you've got plans. and Tell us about your vision and how we can help you grow. If anyone's listening who wants to chip into your story and your vision, well, what's your vision? What what are your plans going forward? That's a, that's a really good oh you know global domination of course no I, I jest <laughs> but I think it's um I think it's it's really about teaching people to make small steps with each other for each other. Um, I'm sounding rather religious now, which I'm not, but I, you know, it, it, about regaining connections and community, making it realise that actually if we work together, I mean, if you look at what happened in the war, uh, for goodness sake, you know, what people can really do when they're frightened. I think one of the problems is we don't have any sort of real existential threat to our lives anymore. Exactly. Um, which sounds weird, but I mean, it, I just think it means that we're not afraid, so we don't need to really get up and do stuff, you know, when we become more uh, apathetic. Um I think it's about saying to people, look, stop relying on the state, stop relying on your NHS system who are straining under the leash, mainly because too many of us are going to the doctor for, for really stress-related disorders and things that you know um, we really shouldn't be there for, that we could take responsibility for ourselves. Pause for a minute and, and know your body better and know yourself better and realise that actually through a process of communicating actually your own weakness and, and failures etc that actually out of it comes great strengths uh in not only in you but in others and you move forward as a group and i think we've we've disseminated we've sort of dissociated ourselves from each other um and out of that directly comes to illness and and i don't and i don't I use that word advisedly i mean illness as i said a symptom is not disease you know people are going to the doctor too young too early and worrying about things because they think they have a right not to be in that state well nature will take its course it'll get better it's just don't be impatient you know um reach out for help when you need it don't be proud and don't let things gather momentum there was a very nice patient of mine who i sadly died last year of cancer but who said something to me i will never forget she said to me she said nick i've realized that people um healthy people wear health as a crown that only the sick see and i think it is sad how many of my patients have to get sick before they wise up yeah, and I see those every day in my practice because I work in a neurosurgery and I, I see very damaged people, and sadly they are, you know, they they really are sick, and they probably still can can come back from it, but it's sad they've had to go on a path. And um, as she said, uh, you know, health is a, is the one thing, and it's interesting within wealthy patients I see that the one thing they realise they can't buy is their health, and that only they can be responsible for that. So you can't go and get it fixed just because you've been abusing yourself for the last twenty years. And we see that in the NHS a lot. You know, people are coming in drunk recurrently when actually all they had to do is have two pints less. Yeah. Uh, but because they know somebody will pick them up, scrape them off the street, pump their stomach or, you know, put a plaster on their head when they've walked into something or somebody or a punch-up they've had, um, that the NHS is there for that. I, I find that gobsmackingly appalling. And I think we need to have some more moral responsibility around our own our own attitude to our own health and that we don't need to burden a system that is miraculous and is the best in the world but it's straining under the leash and we keep thinking the only answer is to put more money into it. Mm. So we're sort of going to pay, pay more to facilitate our own self-destruction, which I find very strange. Yeah, and I, I really believe in the NHS. I really, I really think it should be, it should be maintained. And uh, e equally, though, um, your clients can afford to, to pay for services and you're not, you, you don't... Um, try and encourage them to come back and back and back you actually give them self-help tools 
so that they can sort themselves out. You, you're quite ethical in that sense. You don't sign them into these long packages endlessly. And in fact, you've launched a self-massage tool. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit more than that. It's actually, it's called BackPro, um, B-A-K-P-R-O. And um, it's a system, really. It's a box set uh, system of, uh, there are two massage tools in it, which you can mobilize and manipulate your own tissues. You can reach almost everywhere with them. Um, there's no, nowhere that the, the parts can't reach. And it's combined with what I think are the best um, exercises out there, which are a combination of yoga, Pilates, Feldenkrais, all sorts of things, uh, which I've put together, which I use daily in my practice with patients, but which I feel that you know people can use safely on their own. It's really for 80% of the population who sit all day. You know, the new disease is sitting. And the same muscles contract and the same muscles um, get painful. Um, and that actually they can use their own um, wherewithal to use the tools. And, the, and it links to a website where they can tune in. They can learn to breathe. They can understand why stress is bad for them, how they can change it. Tip top tips. Carrot holds a little book inside it. We have DVDs of the exercises for those who still want DVDs to do them with. And um, I'm very proud of it, actually. I don't think anybody's done anything like it. Um, it's a full system. It is by no means perfect, but it, it'll, it's a lot better than other things that are out there. And very often when people go to physical therapists, they're given balls and foam rollers and all these things which they have to use, but have to go and find them on different websites and so on. So this just provides a sort of one-stop shop release system to your spine and your and your muscles, um, or really your whole body, um, factoring in how to sleep, how to... Uh, you know, not eat well. We don't go into that. And nutrition is not my expertise. That's your that's your world. Um, but I think it's a, you know it's it's probably the most definitive program out there at the moment that looks at all aspects of people's musculoskeletal health. Um, I think it's very reasonably priced um, for those who can't. You know, it is amazing to me when I go out and um, speak around the country at various symposiums and conferences and things. Actually, how many people really are not getting any access to anybody who can help them. And that I find a travesty. And you know, it's, I see people with problems that actually I see every day in my practice and within three sessions could cure. Uh, we just can't get to them. Um, and I think they should be able to make themselves better. So that was that was the idea around BackPro. And um, the so far, it has been very, very popular. Uh, we've helped a lot of people with uh, hypermobility disorders to help release their own trigger points, which are painful. Um, and realize that stress builds up and the pain makes them stressed. It's a vicious cycle and how to break it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, we've got a lot of them sitting in a warehouse and we want to tell everybody to, you know, get cracking with them. Yeah, absolutely. And also, we can start by getting cracking with you. So, if we wanted to book a session with you, what's the best way of doing that, Nick? Uh, I will work at the Princess Grace Hospital in London, uh, in Devonshire Street, which is parallel to Harley Street. And um, I'm there in a sort of neurosurgical group called the Orthopaedic Centre. And I work there with a colleague and I, um, we see anybody, quite frankly, who's in pain, who has headaches, who has temporomandibular problems with their jaw, um, head upper neck and headaches are my particular sub-interest. Uh, but we also run a pelvic pain clinic there. And we would we are we aim to get you to not come back. I mean, I know that sounds like you know serendipity, but actually, the idea is I know full well that I, if you want to look at it purely on a basis on a business basis, I know that my patients will come back every time they have a problem because they trust that I will not fleece them, will get them better, and they can trust me to, to you know to do my best for them when they come back. And, and you can't you can't talk about trust. You have to earn it, and hopefully that's what we've tried to do. Um, and there are plenty of patients out there for everybody, um, and sadly. 
um, you know, it's a growing a growing market, which uh, it shouldn't be. And uh, so I think it's um, it's just the premise under which you want to. I, I love, I'm very lucky. I love what I do. Uh, it definitely defines me and and who I am. And I think uh, through that, you know, that should be respected in my in the way that I practice. Uh, I hope the patients see that. But um, no, that's where you can find me. Um, and uh, I'd be delighted to see anybody who's listening who's in pain. I, I really respect the um, intentions and it, it comes through loud and clear, your passion, your problem solving. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing your inspiring insights. My pleasure. Thank you for having me and good luck. Urban Health is just set to do great things. So uh, I'm sure it will. And, it's, and, 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 and of course, you will be seeing all of my nutrition patients quite clearly. It's not my expertise and I need somebody good. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's work together on that one. So thank you for helping the Urban Health Podcast and keeping busy people healthy. Thank you.